0: How's it going? How's it going everyone? I hope really well. It's going great for me. I'm stoked to be recording another episode of Forward Thinking Founders. My name is Matt Sherman, your host. And if you didn't know, Forward Thinking Founders is pretty much the opposite of how I built this. I go out there into the world, I found really early founders that have really early startups, and I interview them about what they want to build, about their vision, uh, before they've done it yet. So so it's really exciting. These are early founders that have very high potential. Today we're talking to Nick Soman, who is the CEO and co-founder of Decent, and Decent is a company that helps self-employed people get health insurance in an easier way. Uh, Previously, Nick was a head of growth or leader of growth at Augusto and he brings a ton of experience and knowledge to uh, this company. I learned a lot in this episode and I hope you do too. With that said, let's run it. Nick, how is it going?
1: It's going great. I'm really happy to be here, Matt. I heard about your podcast when we actually got a nice mention from my friend, Kristen Tyrell over at Catch. Uh, That's a previous episode that I just checked out and I feel like I'm ready to go and excited to talk to someone who cares about a lot of the same things that I do, like you do.
0: Yeah, I am really excited as well. Whenever I have guests on that are kind of in the realm of the future of work and anything that kind of applies to that, I always get a little giddy. Uh, So (laughs) cool. Let's dive right into it. So you... Uh, your company is Decent. Uh, for the listeners that don't, the, the name is Decent. So, for the, the <laughs> <laughs> for the listeners who who don't know, you know what Decent is. Can you give an idea of of what your company is?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, Decent sells affordable health insurance plans for self-employed people.
0: Okay. So, uh, ultimately, the a challenge that self-employed people have is. The insurance, you know, you don't have an employer to to give mm-hmm. it to you. So what you do is you kind of you make it easier for you make it easy, more accessible for them to find insurance for themselves.
1: Yeah, I'll talk a little bit more about it. So, uh, and I can I can come at this from how I'm doing this and why I'm doing this, and and this will take it a little bit back. So I grew up as the son of two family practice doctors turn medical executives in the Pacific Northwest and my dad would retire as the chief medical executive of a 650,000 member HMO. And I remember being a kid, like being 8 or 9 years old and he'd come home and he'd say things to me like I don't know if my counterparts on the insurance side of our business really care about the patient. I didn't understand what he meant cuz I was 9 years old, but my parents are my heroes and so I paid attention. Yeah. And this hit really hard Uh, I was the growth lead at a company called Gusto that I know you're familiar with. They're awesome. They do payroll and health insurance and HR tech for small businesses. And I knew I wanted to start my next thing. And so I went as an entrepreneur in residence at a firm called Foundation Capital uh, after Gusto and started working on what that would be and immediately had to pay more for my health insurance for my family of four than for rent in the Bay Area which is just like, how in the hell is this happening? I have two little boys at home, Boone's five, Benjamin's two, and my wife, Anna, and I. And it seemed insane to me that this infrastructure cost that anybody who tries to go out on their own has to do um, was costing more than, than rent. And I dug into it, and I was lucky to have family in the business, so I got to talk to them about what was going on. What's really insidious, and a lot of people don't know about health insurance carriers, is that... Under current regulation, they take a fixed cut of the total cost of care. In the individual market and in the group market, they're keeping between 15 and 20% of the total premium dollars that come in, and they have to spend the rest on care. And if they have money left over, they have to give it back to members, which sounds really good because it means they can't just keep the money and hold on to it. But what it means is the only way, after a, a little bit of reducing admin costs, the only way for those companies to make more profit is for the total cost of care to go up, which is Mm. not what you'd want as a patient. As a patient, you want the cost of care to go down. So I actually started looking at it as, how could you offer health insurance that's real health insurance to people, that's ACA compliant, that's regulator approved, without having that terrible misaligned incentive where you're actually rooting for the cost to go up over time? And what we found was there's a way to do it by making it easier for people to band together and self-insure using new regulations just the same way that 90% of American large companies with 500 or more employees have turned to self-insurance because they're saving money versus paying a giant insurance carrier a big cut just to manage their risk. What we do is we use these new regulations to help people band together. It's very, uh, very exciting for me to think about it this way and get that middleman out and we administer affordable plans for them. And we're actually launched in the Austin, Texas market and we have plans that are 20% more affordable in terms of lower premiums on average than market. And they're also comprehensive, they're ACA compliant. We've got another bag of tricks up our sleeve, but at the end of the day, we talked to a whole bunch of freelancers and we heard, you know, there's really three problems with my job. One of them as a freelancer is it's quite, quite lonely sometimes. Another one is the work is really feast or famine sometimes. And the third one is affordable health insurance. And so we really are trying to get a beat on serving all of these self-employed people. We have ambitions to serve small businesses and beyond in the future. But to start, we're happy to be launched in Austin. And uh, yeah, we're we're off to the races.
0: That's awesome. Congrats on launching in Austin. And it sounds like you're, you're onto something pretty big. I am wondering if you could go into a little deeper. You said there was a change in regulation, which allowed it something like decent to to exist uh can you go into a little bit into what the change was and then also what are some other changes that need to happen in the future in order to make life even easier to for freelancers to get insurance like what are things that should change um that make uh yeah that make life easier for freelancers on the regulation side Oh gosh!
1: Super excited to answer this question. So there's two questions there, you you trickster. You got two of them in.
0: I Um, I, I tend to ask like (laughs) six questions in one question accidentally. So I apologize about that. It's one of my it's one of my uh, challenges that I work on. (laughs)
1: I'll, I'll, I'll get them both. So the the change on the regulatory side was a change that for the first time really encouraged. Individuals to be able to band together in these self-insured groups the same way that most large companies and a large percentage of mid-sized companies have realized, you know, we have enough uh, Money and enough capital that we can cover our own risk and not have to pay somebody else to do it It hadn't been simple for individuals to be able to pull together and be able to do that before there's been some changes both at the federal, but more importantly for us at the state level, because what happens actually in regulation in healthcare, and especially you have your federal regulations and then you have your state level regulations. The states are the relevant actor for us because states are the ones that actually regulate what's called the self-insured MUA, which I'll get very boring very quickly if I go too far into that rat hole. A self-insured MUA is the mechanism by which we're letting these people band together. And federal rules came out that said, hey, we're, Encouraging the states to go look in this particular direction, and the states went off to the races with it. And What's really great about regulation at the state level is ultimately the states can decide, you know, we have a fair amount of flexibility in how we want to regulate these types of arrangements. With that encouragement, about 60% of the states in the country really ran off towards, okay, how can we make this easier for these self-employed people and these sole proprietors, these freelancers, these 1099 contractors to be able to band together? And we're able to work in states that are kind of playing on that playbook, and uh, so that's that's just it hasn't been possible to do this before. And there's a big kind of why now, I guess, to our business that I get really excited about. And what's super exciting is, at this point, you know, it's the state regulation that we think about. It's the states where, we, as long as we're in the good graces of folks like the Texas Department of Insurance, I want to give my homies at TDI a shout out. Yeah. Uh, we never got to do that before, so I'm gonna I'm gonna take advantage of that. Uh, we're going to be able to do this for you know, a good long time in, in many of these states. Now, you'd also asked what other regulations would, would make it easier for self-employed people. And that's the right question. I mean, for us, I want to build this business because I was self-employed and my health insurance was too expensive. If our country got its act together and decided to go with some form of single payer that made life better for people, I would happily embrace that. This really isn't just what's right for the business. But I'm going to answer your question in the context of what's good for these self-employed people. Here would be a really good thing. There are major subsidies that are made available in some cases by the government, but to get those subsidies, you have to buy on the government exchanges. And there's a big, big, big set of regulatory trade-offs that you have to take on if you want to sell on those exchanges. There's been some effort to make those government subsidies available to privately sold health insurance. I'm personally in this market, especially since the government's had centuries to sort of figure this out and hasn't really been able to nail it in America like it has in other countries. I'm in favor of private market solutions. Make some of those subsidies available so that private market solutions that want to serve these self-employed people can take advantage of that. And you could be the best deal for everybody and not just everybody who's in a very large subset of self-employed people that if they're just a household of one, for example, make over 50,000 bucks a year and therefore don't qualify for any subsidies. I'm happy to start with those people and try to offer them a better deal but we ultimately want to serve everybody. What I've told them is, you know, one billion covered lives is the goal. And this is just helping all these people self-insure and get a better deal. And uh, pay- payable regulation would obviously be a big step towards that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's fantastic. Uh, it's fantastic. Uh, it's it's cool to talk to um, definitely what sounds like a domain expert who knows all about, <laughs> uh, you know, the things that most people don't know about, but the, but if you do know about it, you're able to act on it. You built a company around some of these changes and trying to be advantageous on solving problems for a set of billion people, uh, which I think is fantastic.
1: What I knew, and I just want to riff on that is, you know, and, and I got lucky, you know, so much of entrepreneurship is privilege. The fact that I was able to call my family and say, hey, you guys know about this. Tell me what's going on here. Here's the deal. These gigantic carriers that are taking a massive cut have historically had two jobs. They've sat there and they've supposed to be a public representation of trust. Oh, you can trust this company you've heard of, so you can give them your money and nothing bad will happen. And then they move money around. And those are the two main things. And what's wild, if you look at the industry, health insurance companies in America have a lower net promoter score than anyone except Comcast. Mm -hmm. That is a real number. The NPS on these health insurance companies is terrible. And that'll tell you, people don't trust these companies anymore. And then you've got new technologies as well as just new a technical progress that allows us to get better and better at moving money around whether that be via tools like blockchain whether that be via standard api integrations there's ways to do this where we don't have to rely on these big i was gonna say blood-sucking vampires but instead i'm just gonna say insurance companies Mm -hmm. they don't need to exist anymore and so part of what we're out to do is prove to people that just as these big companies have figured out they can save money by self-insuring you can do the same things stay healthier uh benefit economically and and Get more comprehensive coverage while you're at
0: it. I love that you mentioned in there the flow of money and the moving of money is becoming a little easier uh, through blockchain or you know different types of APIs that can be built like like cloud or something like that. I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts if you have thoughts on, on Facebook's kind of left field. Uh, but you mentioned blockchain, so I'm just like I'm curious. Do you have do you know. Do you know much about Facebook's, you know, Libra project they just announced? And then, but more kind of specifically, how does that impact uh, what you, what, like, how will that impact what you're spending your time on? Um, how will you leverage it? Is it a competitor? Like, what do you think of, what do you think of Libra project?
1: Yeah, let me talk about Libra. And first I'll talk about it outside of the context of who I happen to be as a human being, because I have a history with Facebook and I've seen this playbook before. So I'm gonna talk about that in a second. That's where I'll probably be a little bit more snarky for me, which is not that snarky. But (laughs) as a project, it's super fascinating what they've done. And I've got some internal connections there and they're aware that they've done this. They've in the good historical standard of open source looked at a whole bunch of other technical innovations and they've come up with their own blend of these things that they can offer something that's functionally similar to a stable token. It's actually a basket of currencies instead of one They're making a play on a global currency. That's what's wild about this. And the reason it just might work, just like the reason that a lot of the other things might work, first of all, the technical thinking is very top-notch. I think they've done quite a good job with it. If you wanted to make an argument that, well, you know, people don't trust Facebook and this looks pretty centralized, I guess I'd agree with you on that, but they got the technology parts of it right. And then they have this access channel to how many hundreds of millions or billion people in the world and this is where I can bleed over into kind of my next phase of how I think about this project. Super, super exciting for crypto in general, because ultimately what this is going to lead into is a whole lot of more on-ramps for people into cryptocurrency. Are you familiar with what WeChat did with red envelopes by any chance? I'm not. So this is wild. WeChat was basically the, the Facebook of China, and they wanted everybody to connect their bank account. and They weren't quite sure how to do it. So they came up with this very ingenious strategy. In China, there's a traditional history of you celebrate Chinese New Year and young people will get red envelopes with money in them from their uh, ancestors, their their parents, older people. And this is a very celebrated, wonderful thing that happens in China. They made a digital version of that because they thought, OK, if we want everybody to connect their bank account, what could we do to make that happen? What if we just started throwing money at them? What if we let their friends throw money at them? What if we introduced a notion of variable reward where your friend might throw down a red envelope into a group chat and whoever clicks it first is going to get some and you're not even sure how much is going to be in there. Mm. They used the best mechanics from consumer growth, and I did that stuff for a long time, to be able to get a whole bunch of people on board and doing the work to connect their bank account. Now, you Mm. look at what Facebook's likely about to try, and I guess I have two caveats around it. One, I love Facebook as a company. I use it all the time. I probably have a better following there than anybody else, anywhere else on the internet. Not anybody, but anywhere else for me on the internet. And uh, I can't knock the core product. You can decide if you think you feel good about Facebook having that level of access to your finances. I think that's an individual decision. What concerns me a little more is here's what I'm going to predict is going to happen right here on your podcast. Nobody else has heard this. They're going to, in call it six months, announce a set of developer tools for Libra. And they're going to encourage developers to come and build on their platform. And it's going to be the same story they told with their Facebook platform API. Come on in. The water's fine. This is great. We're handling identity for you. We're handling uh, KYC for you. We've built this infrastructure. We have these users. Why don't you just come build on our platform? It's going to be awesome. And a lot of developers will. And then the question is going to be if Facebook has really learned from its actions in the past where it sort of, brought on those developers to develop on the platform, encouraged them to do things that would get the word out, encouraged them to make Facebook posts on everybody's wall, encouraged them to blast people via the chat API, and then as soon as some combination of they went public and consumers started to complain about, oh, you know, we don't like being pinged by all these developers, they demonized the developers, and they cut off access to the APIs and said, oh, those bad actors are no longer welcome on our platform. They're going to do the same thing here. I mean, that's my prediction. They're going to get a whole bunch of developers excited. My learning is do not ever build on somebody else's exclusive third-party API. Uh, or if you do it, you're going to be doing it at your own risk because that's just part of how tech works. But, you know, as a, as a bitter older man that, you know, has had previous companies on Facebook, uh, I'm delighted for the space. I'd be very wary as a developer to go too, too deep into that platform.
0: All right. Very well thought out answer. Uh, cool. Yeah, when I saw, when I saw that, launch, I don't know, a month ago or whenever it was, I just was excited for the future and just what that entails. Uh, I'm just intrigued to see what's going to happen. Can I talk
1: a little bit about blockchain as it pertains to Decent? Because I think this is pretty fun. Yes, 100%. Cool. So there are a lot of problems in healthcare, but you kind of got to start somewhere. And one amazing statistic to share, healthcare in the United States, $4 trillion of spend in healthcare every year. 75% of that goes through insurance in one way or another. These are massive companies. The yeah. sixth largest health insurance company is a sixteen billion dollar company. I mean just the, the numbers are sort of insane here. And yet you you don't have certain basic expectations in healthcare like you'd have with any other market like now, I would expect to be able to see how much something costs before I go to the doctor. At least to have some idea. And there's lots of reasons that I probably won't go into in excruciating detail here to talk about why. But there's a tremendous opportunity with blockchain to set that information free, to be able to give people more transparency in what is being spent, on what are the higher value care options. That has some value. The second piece, and this is where I think blockchain's really going to hit uh, the market in the most meaningful way in the medium term. A lot of the stuff this is good for, it's, Moving money around in environments of low trust. It's back end stuff. It's not sexy at all. It makes it faster and easier to save money with a high, send money around with a high degree of accuracy. It's perfect for a boring, primarily back office industry like insurance. So that's a big piece of what we're doing. Whether it's a whole lot of claims management can be adjudicated through smart contracts, or you could really reduce fraud. If you had an opportunity to understand the unique identity of the different people you're transacting with, or even something as simple as, "Hey, doctors spend a whole bunch of money getting credentialed and proving that they're who they say they're going to be," there are new technical ways to do that. That's the medium term for us, and then the long term. I'm super excited about this one, and you know, if we get there, so many good things happen along the way. But I'm I'm going to talk about it anyway. What uh, what insurance, if I may ask, are you on today?
0: Uh, right now I'm on Blue Cross, Blue Cross, Blue Shield.
1: Great. So, so let's imagine Blue Cross sent you an email tomorrow. And they say, hey, Matt, we're making some changes. The first change is we're going to open source all of our quality and price data across our uh, provider network. And so you can see Buff basically who's good and how much it costs. And by the, the second thing is when you use that information or maybe even when you get lucky and make cost efficient health choices, we're just going to send you a little bit of stock in Blue Cross Blue Shield. That's all, that's all it's going to be you can imagine how that might impact your behavior in the immediate term, in the medium term. You could even imagine a world where you go, Hey, if I think this mechanism works and it's going to get other people to make the same type of good choices, that's going to save the system money and make us all money. I might want to hold on to this stock. Yeah. And ultimately there's a way to look at crypto tokens is it's just a fractional international, uh, security, I'll call it that. It's very out of vogue to call it that, but in many cases like this one it is. If you could create a situation where network efficiency benefits everyone directly, straight into their pocket, I think you end up with some of the positive behavior in the crypto community uh, without a lot of the bullshit. And and obviously that's kind of what we're after long-term at Decent too.
0: Yeah, I I like that. And I would like to get to a place as soon as possible really where you have People building, you know, on the blockchain with the blockchain utility type applications versus just like speculative trading and just talking about speculative trading, etc. <laughs> I, I, I was in 2017. I was very involved, you know, in the rise and the fall of, of, of Bitcoin and all of those. And so I've, I learned my lessons. Um, it was good though. I didn't. I didn't. I made a lot of money. I lost a lot of money. So i of even that at the end. <laughs>
1: I I got into it through speculation too, but there's more to it than that. And the reason I'm working on this, and literally you're the first person I've told this to outside of the team, the reason I guess I I chose healthcare as this problem is I do think there's something, there's a there, there in that technology. Mm -hmm. And if we aren't real stewards of it in service of our communities, in service of our society, in service of our species, it's going to end up being like every other fintech innovation, which drove more money into the pockets of the already wealthy. And I think there's an opportunity yep. to do a lot more and and better here, uh, and that that's part of I guess what drives me on the the blockchain side of our business. But we're always telling people we're not a blockchain company. We're health insurance. we we're, we're a healthcare company that uses blockchain, uh, and that's I think that's the appropriate order of things. Ultimately, technology needs to be in service of the end user, or else it's nothing.
0: That's right. Yeah, that's right. I like that. Cool. Well, moving right along. So you're definitely someone that. Um, is knowledgeable you know on, on what's going on in tech <laughs> you, have, you have you have a pretty impressive tech company you, you've worked at impressive tech companies so you kind of know what's going on so so i'm curious what are some trends outside of the ones that we've already talked about um maybe outside of the industry you're currently working on that you're noticing that you're just interested in you don't have to know much about them but what are some company yeah what are some trends or or things that are happening in tech or just in the world that you that pique your interest and, and might pique your interest, you know, moving into the future and, and what will unfold there.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll give you two. Um, and I'm fundamentally an optimist. So these are going to sound like two optimistic ass trends because they kind of are. Yeah. Um, I, I think. Uh, let me think about the right way to articulate this first one. Yeah. Okay. So this come, both of these come from personal experience. The first personal experience is uh, we're lucky to have a, a Polish ind- independent development team in Poland. That's, they, they work for us. Uh, it's not an agency. And we spun them up because our CTO is Polish, and we were looking for a dev team. And we said, well, what should we do? It's, it's, hire, it's hard to hire great engineers in San Francisco. It's hard to hire great engineers anywhere. And he said, well, my, my cousin is a great full-stack engineer, and he lives in Gdańsk over in Poland. And so we hired him and then he started bringing on his friends and it's fantastic. And it ends up, you know, being a great deal for our company. They do great work. Most of them came from banks. So it's really enterprise security grade. But what was really interesting to touch on the trend is I was, uh, I would even say I was a little bit skeptical at first cause I've never worked with primarily remote teams Yeah. Uh, and loved the idea of a distributed team, but I was getting caught up in the practicalities. And I talked to one of our investors, a guy named Charles Moldau over at foundation capital and I said, Charles, you know, you're, you're encouraging me to really lean into this, but before I do, what percentage of the companies that you invest in have, you know, some sort of offshore arrangement like this? And he looked me in the eye and he said, at this point, about 100% of them. And he mm. said, and you know what's crazy? They all have some connection, like the CTO's cousins, the first developer, or something like that. It's very rarely working with these agencies. And that sort of blew my mind because, honestly, this is one of yeah. the smartest VCs in the Valley saying, this is normal. This thing that you, Nick, as an operator that prides yourself in knowing what's going on – thank you for that compliment. I'm not sure. You know, you're you're not even seeing this because you're too far in the weeds. But to him, it's really, really clear that this is uh, happening across the board. And the shift towards distributed teams ultimately should be a, a, level plan, a levelizer uh, across, you know – companies and industries and geographies. So super excited to follow that trend further. And the other one, and this is, I'm gonna get a little bit more weird with you on this one. Uh, I became vegan at the beginning of this year and I've lost about 40 pounds so far and I'm feeling really good about it. And part of why I became vegan, one reason was my wife, who's been eating like that for a really long time. Another one was a friend's company. Uh, Gorov Makin has a company called Milk Guys. I don't know if you've run into them yet. Super, super interesting they're trying to become the online storefront for vegan food and
0: cool. it makes
1: a lot of sense. It's super simple. Yeah. And he said, Nick, you know, I, I was a crazy meat eater. My nickname in college was the beast. Like I didn't, I didn't have a vegan bone in me. I guess that's not possible. Uh, vegan celery stick then. And I talked to Gorov and he said, you know, I know you're a little skeptical, but I want to give you a referral code to try out our stuff. And I ate some of that food And I was also trying to figure out how am I going to lose weight because I have two young kids at home and want to be around for them for a good long time. The food's getting delicious. And the really wild trend that I love to see is we all like to talk about sustainability. And I'm forgetting which French philosopher it was, but it might have been Foucault who said, ultimately, in most questions of philosophy, you need to start in your own backyard. You need to start in your own backyard. What that means to me is when we talk about sustainability, you have people like my dad who's such a good do-gooder that I go home now and it's like his old ass hosting, you know, 15 college students to talk about climate change. And he's getting really informed and he really knows his stuff. But for most of us, that's too high of a level of abstraction to get into. What I'm seeing become cool in tech at the individual level, and this is super exciting, is stuff like becoming vegan. Stuff like, it's not about let's save the world. It's about how am I going to get less fat, be able to play with my kids, and be able to kind of show off this cool new Beyond Burger that, you know, some of my friends still haven't tried, it's starting to happen at the individual level and it's getting cool and I get really excited about that because I think this the path to sustainability has to go through individuals and companies that are in support of that uh I guess I'm just seeing more and more uh promise along those trends
0: yeah uh well I definitely understand both of those trends I have a remote team and my girlfriend is not vegan yet she's vegetarian but uh I I I get a lot of that, and I've had beyond the Beyond Burger before. It's fantastic. Really good,
1: yeah. (laughs) Very good.
0: Uh, Cool. Those, yeah, that's interesting. Those are two trends that those are. I think those are original, you know, original ideas. uh, Especially your your second one. Um, I I like that. I like that a lot. Cool. So, a couple more questions for you before we uh, wrap up the the podcast. So, what is the biggest if you have to guess, you're building. You know, you're building decent. You have this, this awesome company. You have this trend that you're are trying to kind of latch onto. What is the one thing, if you're open to sharing, that you kind of get about the industry, about where it's going, about the future that ninety nine percent of the world doesn't see yet or doesn't understand? Um, because it's crazy to start a company, right? So you obviously see something that we don't. So if you're open <laughs> to sharing, like what is that one thing that 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 you have an edge on, you know, against? No, most of the other people in the world I I love
1: that question here's the answer insurance companies don't need to exist anymore they don't need to exist anymore they have historically had two jobs the first job was to maintain the public trust they failed at that job lowest net promoter score of anything except Comcast The second job was to move money around. We finally have technology that can move money around better than any human with the need to trust math, not board members of a corrupt company that's shown a profit motive obsession. I don't know if it will be decent. I hope it is. I hope we we come out and make this as real as it is in my head. But I can guarantee you, whether it's this year or this decade, change is coming. People are starting to realize we don't need these massive vampiric middlemen sitting on top of our systems of trade anymore. We don't need them charging us an arm and a leg just to manage risk in case our children get sick. What I know that nobody else knows is that these companies don't need to exist anymore at all.
0: It's an awesome answer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> cool. Well, I have one last question for you before before we wrap it up. So, you are building the future. You you see the future. You're building for it. You uh, you're spending your time and starting a company. Um, you know, in the health insurance space. So so you're building that. There's plenty of people that are listening. You know, to this podcast that might be really early on in their career. They might be later in the career career and they want to make a change. Who also want to have an impact on the future. They also want to build the future in some (laughs) capacity. So what advice would you give to someone listening to this podcast? They could be 10, they could be 70, it doesn't matter. They want to build something in the future, uh, for the future. What advice would you give them to get started? It isn't too late to save the world.
1: And I would want them to think about that and think about what that means for them because their answer is going to be different from mine. If you find yourself doing a thankless job for a thankless employer, if your boss really likes you, but you're not fired up about what you're doing, if you don't believe that the change that you're helping to create is a change you'd be proud to explain to your children, or if you choose not to have children to the people you love in your life, it isn't too late to save the world. You can get a lot of good tactical advice from people who are smarter than me, but I'll give you that one.
0: I can see it already that I think I'm going to name this podcast. It isn't too late. Uh, isn't too late to change the world. What a great, what a great way to close it out. Uh, well, thank you so much for hopping on to forward thinking founders with me. Uh, honestly, very insightful answers. I learned a ton and I'm sure the listeners learned, learned a lot too. So thank you for coming on.
1: Awesome. Uh, if anybody on the podcast wants to talk to me, I'm Nick at decent.com. Really easy to get to. And I'm rooting for anybody that's uh trying to make this better for everybody.
0: There we go. So it's Nick at decent.com. Is there, uh, are you active on social media at all? Is there any Twitter or any other, yep. anything yeah, else? Yeah, I'm, I'm,
1: I'm at, at Nick Solomon. We're at decent on both Instagram and also Twitter. Uh, you can reach out to me. You can reach out to the company and I love hearing from people.
0: All right. Well, thank you again at Nick for popping on and for all of those listening. I hope you enjoyed another episode of forward thinking founders. See you all next time. Bye.